0: In 2018, No Going Back was arguably the song of the summer. A shimmering, bouncy, synth-heavy, atmospheric pop tune that dominated indie tinge playlists on digital music services like Spotify. The song was the product of a 27-year-old, almost completely
1: unknown artist who'd been toiling away in his home studio. Instead of traveling around playing shows, I could just like kind of travel around the internet sharing my music. He
0: goes by Uno, and that home studio? It was a bedroom in the Arlington neighborhood of Jacksonville. Uno's efficacy with home recording and digital music production earned him a record contract with unimpeachably cool indie label Sub Pop. Home at one time or another to Soundgarden, Nirvana, Iron and Wine, he says, Head the and Heart. Uno had never performed his music publicly, but the label soon had him on the road, selling out clubs across the US and Europe. Though he's the most successful of the bunch, Uno's but one of dozens of musicians plugging away in home studios across Northeast Florida, creating approachable, sometimes even danceable, mostly electronic music for a broad audience.
2: Yeah, I just I play everything on this keyboard.
0: Today we'll enter the lo-fi, seemingly isolated yet modernly connected world of DIY home recording, often referred to as bedroom pop. This is the Voidcast from Void Magazine and WJCT Public Media, where we cut through the digital noise and subvert the algorithms taking you on a locals-only journey through the history and contemporary vibrancy of music from Northeast Florida. I'm your host, Matt Shaw, editor-in-chief of Northeast Florida Culture and Lifestyle magazine, Void. We live in a world where you have these infinite libraries of tunes right there, available for streaming, plus a whole ecosystem of music publications on the internet. I don't read them all, but I feel like I'm pretty tapped in. So the first time I heard You Know, or should I say heard of You Know, was via a Sub Pop newsletter in my inbox that said something to the effect of, Sub Pop signs Jacksonville's own You My first thought was, huh, Jacksonville's own? Our Jacksonville? So I listened to his most streamed song, No Going Back, which at that point had like two million plays on Spotify. It has 17 million now. And I had that feeling like, maybe I've heard this before, maybe I thought it was a Tame Impala song, but maybe it's just so catchy that it just sounded familiar the way catchy songs do. It's
3: really reminiscent, um, like most good pop songs are, I think, where they, they stand out while blending in.
0: A friend of mine, Glenn Van Dyke, she's the creator of the Jacksonville Music Festival Winterland and founding member of seminal New York garage rock band Boy Toy. She had a similar experience with her discovery of You Know.
3: All those um, uh, synth pads with a leading melody that gets stuck in your head and it's like you hear it and you think you've heard it before but you can't quite put your finger on it.
0: When you hear bedroom pop, it's kind of, uh, it was an underground term for a while and now it's like kind of come to the forefront. What What do you think about when you hear bedroom pop?
3: It's, I think that it's, um... It's, it's, it's making use of what's available to you within our consumer market of, of recording equipment. You can go and buy an interface, and, and it's so much—recording your songs and getting down your ideas is so much more accessible than it ever used to be. And I, I, whenever I think bedroom pop, um, you think of something that's uh, usually like a, a solo person um, creating the beats, the music— Um, being alone in a room, uh, making songs that are evoked by those feelings of, you know, being like by yourself um, and that having a universal translation and and connecting with people who have had similar feelings or have creative thoughts alone also.
0: Yuno doesn't have a traditional musical background. He grew up skateboarding, and says he got turned on to a variety of genres, underground hip-hop, punk, reggae, from watching skate videos. His dad bought him a $20 guitar from a flea market, then he started looking up guitar tabs online and learned songs along with his friends at school.
1: My cousin, he used to make beats in Fruity Loops, and I wanted to make a song for a school project. So I had him teach me how to make a beat and help me with that and all my friends liked it and thought it was funny. So I just kept making beats and like funny raps and stuff. And then eventually I realized I could make more serious music with it and kind of blend beat making with playing guitar. So I'd make beats and then add some guitar on top of it and then kind of kept developing that. I just kind of stayed in my bedroom, worked on music, worked on like art and video editing and all that sort of stuff. But yeah, I didn't really go to many shows. I went to one show, this rapper, M.C. Lars.
2: And, you and think, that was
1: what really other, kick-started me into making music and realizing like videos. I could do things kind of se- like on my own just because I saw him on stage by himself. So I was like, oh, I can just make music in my bedroom by myself. And, yeah, just, just stayed very isolated for a really long time. Until he was discovered by Sub Pop. Since the late 80s, the
0: Seattle-based record label has been synonymous with Indie Cool. With Mudhoney, then Nirvana, they ushered in the grunge era in the early 90s, then played an outsized role in kicking off the neo-folk revival in the early 2000s, signing earnest singer-songwriter acts like Fleet Foxes. They undeniably keep their proverbial fingers on the pulse of what's happening in music, so signing a seemingly obscure Jacksonville producer, while shocking to some, is also fitting.
1: Ish, who's in a group on Sub Pop called Shabazz Palaces, he's an a at Sub Pop, and I guess he was just browsing through SoundCloud. He doesn't really remember exactly how he stumbled across me, but he did, and he listened, and he liked it a lot, and emailed me, and just telling me he liked my music. We kept in touch for a while eventually he was just like, hey, if if it's okay, I want to share your stuff with the rest of the people at Sub Pop. And I was like, yes, that is okay. I, <laughs> I am definitely okay with you sh- showing Sub Pop my music. And everybody else seemed to like it. And I ended up signing with them. And it, it was kind of like out of nowhere and definitely a dream come true for me because I've always been a really big Sub Pop fan. They reached out to me finding my music online, which is kind of how I made sure to get out my music, like get my music out to people. I figured instead of traveling around playing shows, I could just like kind of travel around the Internet sharing my music.
0: And this is what really makes the world of bedroom pop a uniquely modern one. These forums and platforms where artists who are creating music on their computer at home can share, communicate and collaborate on music. That's how Jacksonville electronic musician Brian Squillis, who also makes music from his home, first heard of You Know years before Sub Pop scooped him up.
2: I think a friend shared his music with me, and then I sent him an email saying, hey, I think you're cool if you ever play shows. Like, my band could play shows with you or whatever. And I I think he responded and was just like, thanks. But, like, he didn't really play shows or anything. And then I I followed up years later, just saying, like, what's up again? You know, just kind of, like, bugging the dude because I just knew, like, how is this guy so good? Living here in Arlington never seen him never you know like nothing like just he just exists and i know he's great his music started coming together and he got signed to sub pop and he needed to tour he needed a band so i was one of those people that was just like pestering him so he's like hey let's play
1: i'm like all right i was really nervous for the first show uh we were touring with uh this band twin shadow and we flew out to san francisco to start a little it was a little mini tour and, yeah, I was really nervous for this, like, sold-out crowd.
2: Uh, yeah, the first show sucked. <laughs> Actually, I take it back. Our first show wasn't that bad. But we, had, we did have a bunch of disasters right afterwards because we were so new. I think that most bands get a chance to play their embarrassing shows in front of 10 people. Uh, but we were in this very unique situation of playing our embarrassing shows in front of 500 people. Um, And then in Yuno's case, he had never played a show in his life. He maybe played one. I
1: just remember being backstage, just like had the like this tightness and my stomach was in knots. And then I finally did it and like felt okay about it. And I was really nervous for the next few shows. But I think generally after that tour, uh, and especially towards the end of it, I just realized everyone was there to have a good time. So I didn't need to like worry too much. It was a, a slow start, but you know, a fun one. It's You Know, live on KEXP. Take it away.
0: Squillis was uniquely suited for the task. He honed his stage shops as a founding member of the popular local electronic band, C-Cycles. In the last few years, he's become one of the most sought-after producers and collaborators in this region. His electronic pop duo, Lands, with fellow producer Rania Woodard has a couple million plays on Spotify, and he's lately been releasing music under a solo project pseudonym Odd Relics, music which he makes by himself in, yep, a
2: bedroom. Which would be great. Oh yeah, here's the one with the four sound. Yeah. So. This is the master bedroom of a pretty standard house in Murray Hill. Um, It's not huge, but it is bigger than the other bedrooms. Um, And recording equipment-wise, it's really, really basic. Um, It's It's fairly modest.
0: It feels warm. It's got these chintzy maroon Uh, tapestries on the wall, an oriental rug of a similar palette, and a smattering of bear figurines, that give it a kind of Pacific Northwest log cabin feel. The trappings of a musician's space are evident. A couple guitars, some sound paneling, a piano. But if you're picturing Phil Spector's Gold Star Studios, you're lost. Squillis' wall of sound is a desktop monitor and a couple speakers.
2: I really just like soft lights, and I like dark red, and I like patterns. I just like things to feel cozy. But my studio has been an evolution. Like, it started in, like, the breakfast nook area of a house I had and then was in a living room, and it's been in my bedroom before. So, but wherever it is, just these certain things follow it around. Like, my little bear statues, they kind of go everywhere with me. It's just an easy way to make something feel at home. Like, it's my place, you know? How many hours a day do you spend in this room? Uh... It depends on the day, but I would say between two and six hours a day.
0: Within the digital ether of the internet, there are entire networks of musicians like Squillis sharing sounds or samples cribbed from all manner of sources, vintage musical equipment, old records, even nature.
2: On Reddit, there's a a community called We Are The Music Makers, and people will post uh, found sounds like so this guy went out into the woods and uh with a field recorder and just got a bunch of samples of kind of sounds in the woods and then put it out for free for people to use and so if you just hear what it sounds like with nothing i can add a little delay to it or i can kind of manipulate the eq let's see It definitely sounds like drums when you listen to it, but it's not necessarily like, oh, that's a bunch of tree branches, but it is. Every one of these sounds in this song, specifically other ones I use other instruments, but every one of these sounds can be performed on this keyboard. So these, this sound was performed right here the same way that this sound was right here. Like these, like I'm just, yeah, I just, I play everything on this keyboard. Turn this down. I, I went to uh, Mexico last year and when we were in the cenotes, it's like this big, it's like Ginny Springs but like in a cave, uh, and I was really inspired by the way just water drops sounded and it sounded like phenomenal. So obviously these are not recordings from that, but that's just my like interpretation of what that might be like if I could make it that way. Black horse, black horse,
0: You know, once an idea is sparked, just to be able to come in and dive into a project. Um, It must feel freeing, because I know you've played in bands before where it's more
2: collaborative. Can you just talk about working on music this way? It's so easy to come in here and work on something that I'll have moments, like even yesterday. I didn't have a lot of time, and I was watching a TV show, and I was like, I'm not going to work on music this morning, I'm just going to watch this TV show. And something about the song in the TV show just got me really stoked and I was like maybe I should just work on music right now and I just came right back here and I worked on something for let's say 15 minutes and just let it go and what I ended up with was just like a a chord progression and a series of synth textures I created and it's not a song it's just more of like a mood board but I did it in 15 minutes and That was that, and I may not touch that thing for another year, I don't know, but like it got done. And I'd say the other benefit to working, at least working alone, is that I can go through really bad ideas without criticism. I think that's a big deal, because I think that when you're in a group setting, unless you're really comfortable with your bandmates, you're going to be hesitant to throw out ideas that are a little more extreme or something that, you know, might not instantly be palatable because you might think someone else is just going to naysay that idea right away, which happens all the time in bands. Um, Obviously the flip side of that is that when sometimes that's helpful because somebody might stop you from going down a three hour rabbit hole of crap, but I felt more recently it's been really cool just to be weird and not worry if it sounds good. I wanted to ask you how you feel or what
0: your relationship to the term uh, bedroom pop is. How do you feel about that that term?
2: Uh, I love that term. I don't apply it to myself though because I think bedroom pop usually implies a little bit of an R&B feel. Like it's almost always just like, you know, a pretty standard R&B chord progression on maybe like an electric piano or, Uh, electric guitar with chorus on it and then you know it's just like produced at home and sounds very lo-fi on purpose but a lot of my favorite artists right now are that like still woozy is one of my top ones right now I have zero issues with the term um I think that I make music in that way but I don't know if it ends up sounding like that
0: right and i think that music journalist or, wh- or whoever will you know a new genre of music whatever and they need uh, a word to apply to it and so mm-hmm. bedroom pop has kind of become this all-encompassing thing for somewhat electronic music that has like a lo-fi mm-hmm. um, sort of tinge to it um, which i kind of see a direct through line between like garage rock in the 60s where you just have these bands of young kids getting together. They want to record some music. They hang a microphone in their garage, and then you have hip hop in the '80s, where you know the cheap electronic equipment, and you put some samples together, and then somebody raps over it. Just the, I guess, the utility or the access that you have to the equipment that that you're using, and how that kind of um, inspires the music that comes out of it.
2: Yeah, I think that I think in a lot of ways there's similarities to this world like there is to photography so the better technology gets the easier it is for anyone to access so there's two there's two things that happen when that happens one is that the world gets saturated with a lot of music like more than it ever had because it's so easy just to do it and a lot of that music is bad sure but the other side of it is that like If somebody recorded something in a professional studio and somebody recorded something at home and that quality gap is getting smaller then it seems like uh the bar for entry is just like more open and like any anybody can do it and then what happens is it becomes less about like oh did you get great tones or did you go get the coolest sounding you know vintage piano or whatever and it's more just about like what was the message of your art and like it almost makes things more pure. Like when someone makes it from their home with nothing and it's still a successful song, then it just means that it didn't need all these accessories to be real or to be relatable to people that want to hear it. And a lot of the best music right now is that way.
1: I feel like I fit in. You know again. I feel like it's a very broad term so maybe not everyone would feel like they fit into it but it's just like it's music I make in my bedroom so it's literally bedroom music and I think I make pop music so I'd say it's bedroom pop like that that makes sense, it's still my bedroom. Uh, I, I'm, I'm working on music in my bedroom like right now pretty much, uh, I just stopped. <laughs> The Voidcast is part of WJCT's Jacksonville Music Experience, here to give music fans in Northeast Florida and beyond lots of ways to enjoy their favorite artists and discover new genres on the air, online, on demand, and in person. It's three streaming music stations, TV and online performances, and the WJCT Soundstage Series. Check it out now at wjct.org jacksmusic.
0: Bedroom pop is kind of having a moment. Who are some examples of artists, uh, sort of mainstream contemporary pop artists from that world who uh, who are making music in the way that, you know, Brian glows from Odd Relics or you know,
3: yeah, I mean, Billie Eilish just swept at the Grammys. Right, well, did she
0: won five or something. Y- all yeah, of <laughs> just them. Five, yeah, yeah, she won all <laughs> Only the five. Grammys.
3: Um, yeah, she's she comes from a bedroom pop background. You've got um, Lil Peep, RIP, uh, Juice mm-hmm. World. Uh, There's this uh, artist called Clairo, which uh, I just heard about when doing some research. Bedroom pop. She signed a father-daughter. Or um, Sales from Orlando.
0: Yeah, Vagabond. Vagabond. Yeah, yeah. The term lo-fi gets used when we talk about bedroom pop.
3: Totally. Um,
0: and, And, you know, anytime you label music, sometimes it... It can be a term of endearment, but a lot of times, like musicians, artists don't like labels, but lo-fi is tied to bedroom pop and what is what does that mean when we say lo-fi?
3: It's funny cuz that word lo-fi I feel like has been over or has been used so much at this point kind of like how indie has been where right. it's completely lost its its meaning and it's like meant to imply that someone's using equipment that is not it's consumer grade or it's not professional grade and with those things come a certain sonic quality like extra tape hiss or a really noisy guitar. Um, and it's now, you know, those are very indicative of bedroom pop, I think, because those are the equipment that is really accessible. And Mm -hmm. also the resurgence of people wanting to create that, you know, becomes a a paradox of it's called lo-fi was a, it was a degrading term in the seventies because you couldn't afford to be in a fancy studio, but now that silver tone tone is sought after.
0: There's another artist uh, here in Northeast Florida. I think we both uh, know and, and like very much uh, Sailor goon can you tell us about uh, Kayla um, aka Sailor goon
3: <laughs> yeah her they her also her vocal delivery is really striking to me she has um, a really impressive range yes the way the sun hits on your face and she can evoke it with a really laissez faire attitude and it's just like, she, at one point she's kind of barely whispering and then she's hitting a vocal run. Um, she leaves you with cliffhangers. She doesn't have a lot of repetition in her songs. It reminds me of um, like Frank Ocean and Solange have that same very linear style. Um, her, her joints are real short.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: There's like a vulnerability to it. I've always sort of loved artists who display, like, a decent level of discomfort on stage. Like right. David, David Byrne's discomfort. Uh,
3: Seems natural.
0: Yeah, it was kind of quirky and, right. and um, uh, Kurt Cobain, I think, genuinely seemed shy when he <laughs> played live. Uh, I think, uh, in my mind, that makes artists seem more approachable, like they're, they're just you or I up there. Um, do you think there's an approachability factor to bedroom pop, like the way these artists share their music? through the internet they connect um in this way that's like you know this is the modern way of communication Uh, I
3: totally do yeah I and I think it I think it could go back to the fact that a lot of these artists are you know admittedly by themselves writing these songs and there's certain emotions that you can only evoke from being by yourself and and what those feelings, um, put into the songs that they're writing, um, is something that is read, I think, by other people when they listen to it. And it's a very, um, common theme and common thread. And it's, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's easy to like see yourself or identify feelings that you felt in, you know, someone else's moment of alone time. Um, it's just a, it's a very personal, it seems like the songs are very personal or stem from a, personal place
0: This is the Voidcast from Void Magazine and WJCT Public Media. I'm the editor of Void Magazine, Matt Shaw. This episode was produced by Lindsey Kilbride and recorded at the studios of WJCT. You can check out an episode inspired playlist at wjct.org/voidcast. Special thanks to Lands for letting us use their song Metanoia for the theme of this episode.